Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Ta'anit, daf bet, page two. We have a new Masachet. And I, there's a few words of introduction, in particular because I think we, in our experience of the Jewish calendar and so now the fast days, right? We know about, first and foremost, Yom Kippur, Tisha B'Av, and the other historical fasts, Tanit Aster, etc. And it, we have to stop and remind ourselves that Tanit, the, chap, the, the tractate that is devoted to public fasts, is not about these historical fasts at all. It is specifically, or, or I can't say at all, the fourth parak, the last chapter, does address them. The bulk of the, cha- of the tractate is specific to the kind of fast that is tantamount to prayer, that when the people are in need, and in specific, it's talking about the need for rain, the need for rain in the land of Israel when the crops fail and the people will you know, have a big problem if there's no rain. So there's a public fast that becomes, you know, that the, the people will call a public fast, the rabbis, for the sake of kind of calling out to God for the sake of the rain, for the crops, for the field, for Eretz Israel. Now, this is Talmud Bavli. This is not Talmud Yerushalmi. This is not a mitzvah that pertains only to the land of Israel, but it is really very focused on the land of Israel. So we will, I think, be paying close attention to exactly how, what this says about um, the relationship between the people living in Israel and the people living in the diaspora, and what does it mean to pray for rain, specifically for talking about Israel. This was, you know, long before climate change was a a thing, and they are not talking about the need for the world to have water. We certainly understand that importance now. Um, and it also speaks to the fact that always, always, historically, water was a critical element in the life of the land of Israel, you know, um, life, crops, and so on. So that's that's the Masachet, um, in a very small nutshell. And then our first chapter is going to be specifically talking about these kinds of fasts, the ones that are decreed for the lack of the rainfall. And specifically, we're talking about the dates for the rainfall, meaning Israel, and I know that you all have, many of you anyway, have experienced this. It's a two-season kind of country. Spring and fall pass in a matter of days, and the summer is long and dry, and the winter, at least theoretically, is however rainy. It's a rainy season winter. And there are isolated places where you will see snow, but it's really about rainfall. So the entire rainy season um, is discussed here in the context of when is it supposed to begin? Um, because if it's not in the rainy season, then we Dafka, we specifically don't want it to rain because that's considered, you know, not the right time for rain, which again is part of this story of um, where prayer and rain are part and parcel of the same thing, which is also a little bit counter, I think, our modern sensibilities when we think about um, rain and we talk about, I don't know, you learn about the cycle of hydration of the world and you know the science behind it, then that's really quite different than um, prayer being the cause, being what brings about the actual rainfall, specifically in a time of drought, but even any other time. Okay, without further ado to the Mishnah, so the mission asks, from what date? From Me'ematai, this is a, a formulation that we'll all recall from Masachah Brachot from the very beginning. It means from when, 
right? From when, but in this case, instead of being from when in the course of one day, here it means from when, which date do we begin to mention the strength of the rains, which is specifically when do we pray for the rain to come in our tefillot. Rebbe Lezer says, you say it, and this is really a change in the formulation of the Amidah, right, where we add in for example, specifically, that we mention God as the provider of rain from the first Sukkot. Rebbe Yoshua disagrees and says, no, no, do it from the last day of the holiday of Sukkot. And the the um, the difference here is going to become is a tangible reason. Rabbi Yeshua says to Rabbi if rain falls during the holiday of Sukkot, it's considered a curse. It's a sign of a curse, rather. Right? The idea that here's all of the people dwelling in their Sukkot. So then why would we want rain at that time? We want people to be able to dwell in their Sukkot and not have to rush inside from the strength of the rain, for example. Amrlo Rabbi Lazar, so Rabbi Lazar answers him and says, he says, I didn't say that you should request rain at this time. It's not a prayer to please send rain. Rather, it is a recognition. It's a mentioning of the fact that God is the one who makes the wind blow and the rain fall in its appropriate time. Mashiv HaRuach Umarei is different than a tefillah asking for rain. So the Rabbi Yeshua says, well, if that's the case, then let's say this all year long. We don't need a special time to acknowledge that God is the one who makes the wind blow and the rain fall in its due time. So then, meaning, so that this, this dispute here um, is on the one hand, it's really just a matter of the words of the liturgy. And on the other, it's fundamental to the question of what are we doing when we come to say these words? The Mishnah continues, so we've got a pretty, you know, we've got a policy here. You only request rain right at the time preceding the rainy season. You don't do it all summer long. You're talking about it only in the context of actual, what is actually logical that the rain would come, which, by the way, I think speaks to the interplay between the nature that we know and the influence, perhaps, that we can, we hope to have on the nature itself via Tzvilato Kodesh who is, let's say, behind the scenes of the nature. Now this gets to the actual practice. Rabbi Huda says that when someone goes to Davin from the Amun, someone goes up to the Over Teva, means you go before the Ark, but it means that you're coming to be the Shliach Tzibor, the Chazan, the prayer leader, and it's on the last day of Sukkot, that person should mazkir. That person should mention again in the Amidah. You should mention the that God is the one who blow, makes the wind blow and the rain fall. Harishon eno mazkir. But what that means is specifically the last one should do it, not the first one. Meaning, if you've got the last one is davening musaf, the first one, let's say in shacharit, we don't we don't mazkir yet, right? We we draw this distinction between shacharit and musaf. And then, frankly, in our day and age, we really have a long, drawn-out, ornate um, geshem to start us off into the winter season and the asking for rain. Be'yom tov rishon shal Pesach. 
But you So the flip side is is you know it, it's in the mirror image where the person davening shachrit is still in the winter zone, so to speak, and does mention uh, rain, God's role in rain, and the acharon, the Musaf shleach um, does not say it because we're now at the end of Pesach is when we end up at the beginning of Pesach rather is when we end up in the the summer season again. Which were which is not the appropriate time to be asking for rain. So the Gemara here, meta, meta here. You would agree when you see this me'ematai Krishna. Well, that's why I said brachot. Right, it reminds you of the one in brachot. Right. So, um, so the Gemara starts off by saying Tanahachi kai kitani me'ematai. So it's basically asking, where does the time of this Mishnah, you know, it literally means sort of like stand, that he teaches from when? In other words, Me'ematai sort of indicates already that there was a, it, there was an obligation that was already discussed uh, to mention rain at that time of the year. So then it says Tana Hatam Kai, right? So it says the Tana is, you know, over there, meaning it's, he's, it's referring basically to a Mishnah in Brachos, which talks about that you have to mention uh, you know, that you have to mention rain. And now they quote the, the Mishnah, and this is a Mishnah that we find in Brachot, Antaf, Lamed Gimel, Amad Aleph, De Katani, Maskim, Shamim, That we mention the, the might of rain, right, in the Bracha of the Amida and the Bracha of, of the Shemona Esrei that talks about about the resurrection of the dead. And the request of, of rain. Right, that's the bracha that we say later on. Uh, uh, and then we also talk about uh, the, you know, the chonen hadat, which literally means like the, you know, the prayer of distinction, right? That we talk about being kodesh what we say for Havdalah, uh, That says in chonen hadat. Vikatani, and we also learn as well. Right, and so, uh, so late, based on that Mishnah, basically, now this Mishnah comes to basically say, okay. From when do we start to mention Givurat Gesha? So it says, rather, the Tana is interrupting the discussion from Sachad Rosh Hashanah. Ditnan, because we learned in a Mishnah, right? Ubechad Midonim Al Hamai, right? So this is a Mishnah that we learned in Rosh Hashanah, that on the festival of Sukkot, we're judged for right? And since the Tana taught there that on the festival of Sukkot, basically, Everybody's judged for water. Then after that halakha, that Mishnah, that's when he teaches, when do we mention it? So passage of the Gemara seems to really show that there is an internal structure to the Mishnah, right? That Mishnayos are very deliberately placed in particular Masakdot. And so here they're really trying to dissect why wasn't this Mishnah put in Brachot? And then maybe it could have, you know, it's actually sort of, a Mishnah that relates to something after Rosh Hashanah, you know, a Mishnah that's in Rosh Hashanah. And so now it sort of has its own Masachat and its own discussion, but that's why it appears as late as it does in um, in Moed. And I don't think we've seen a passage that for me at least, I, again, I could be wrong, that really refers to so many Masachot and really is thinking about sort of like the internal structure there. I, I, I could be, correct me if I'm wrong, Anne. But I, oh, I, I I can't correct you if you're wrong here because I don't know that I 
first of all, I think that her pace has been fast enough that I'm not sure that I would be as attuned to it. Ma'amatai, you can't miss. Right. I'm not sure that that every allusion to every everything. I feel like maybe on our seventh time through Dafyomi, we'll be able to talk about that, you know, with greater confidence to right. say that it's only here. Right. But, I don't know that it's only here, but it's really striking how detailed it is here. Let me leave it at that. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, and then the Gemara goes on. I just want to read one more passage here. The Gemara goes on then to basically go through the Sukim that sort of teach us, you know, uh, when does somebody mention rain? So first of all, like, what's Gvurot Kishamim, right? That the idea that rain falls Bigvura, and they learn this from the creation. Um, and then finally, why do you have to mention in Tefillah? And then finally, we get this uh, this statement of Rabbi Yochanan. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. That there are basically three keys which are maintained by Hashem and are not transmitted with an intermediary, with a shaliach. In other words, these are things that God, only God sort of controls. And what are they? The key of rain, the key of birthing, and the key of the resurrection of the dead. And then they go through Psukim to prove this, right? Maftech shel geshamim, dichtiv. And they quote a pasuk here from Debarim, chapter 28, verse 12. Yiftach Hashem lecha et otzro hatov, et hashemayim latet metar tachavito. Right? The Lord will open for you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain of your land in its time, which means that God really controls the rain, right? Maftech shel chaya minayin. How do we know that God controls the key to birthing? Right, right. So here we're quoting Pasuk from Bereshi chapter 30, verse 22, which says, And God remembered Rachel and listened uh, to her and opened her womb, right? Literally opened it. Where do we get the Mavteach of Tichiyadam Um, And we get this from this famous Pasuk in Yechezkel, right, which talks about the resurrection of the dead, chapter 37, verse 13. Dichtiv. Right, and you will know that I am the Lord that I opened your graves. And then they end with this last thing, that in Eretz Yisrael they also would say, also the key of livelihood. So the key of life. And they, you know, quote here a very famous pasuk from Tehillim chapter 145, verse 16, right, that you open your hand and satisfy every living, you know, every living thing. And the reason that that wasn't mentioned with Rabbi Yochanan and Babel is my taima, Rabbi Yochanan, my taima, locha chashavi, locha, locha, right? Why doesn't he uh, consider this? Amr locha, geshamim hainu parnasa. The concept of rain, right, which brings crops, that's related to parnasa. So you didn't need a separate statement for that. But I just think it's fascinating to think like the the, the idea of birth and tachiyatamitim being in the hands of God absolutely makes sense. But that sort of gishamim or weather is equated with it. You know, to me, I think what this is talking about is specifically sort of like the way the natural world works, right? This is something nobody has any control over at all. Um, and that, you know, it's sort of in that same category. Yes, they prove it through psukim and it's all these psukim that have that word of opening of patach in it. Um, but I think it's really interesting and should give us pause to think about sort of the power of weather and, and the power of, of, of nature in this way. And that truly this is something that only God holds and, and it's not subject to any human influence. I like that. I think that, as I said, I think we're going to 
see these themes crop up, no pun intended, crop up a lot over the next, you know, 20 plus dapim here, because we're exactly talking about things that we relate to as natural and things that we relate to as supernatural, meaning with the hand of God. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see how, you know, I think we can predict which side of that equation it gets weighted in the Gemara, but I'm interested to see how the nature side of it um, is, is upheld or plays out. Well, I'm really excited to learn this Masaka, and I guess I'll just put another plug in. There's really some great Gemara in this Masaka. Some good of God, it says some great stories. So, you know, we want to encourage if you have a friend or a family member you think would like to learn with us, uh, this is a great Masaka to start with. So that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.